cover-ups in American politics, 1776 to 1963, and survival of the richest, Donald Jeffries separates the real from the unreal. Fact from fiction. Fact from fiction. Reverse engineering our manufactured reality. And now, from just outside the swamp-infested Washington, D.C., this is I Protest with Donald Jeffries. And welcome to iProject. This is Donald Jeffries coming to you, as the announcer says, just outside the swamp infested Washington, D.C. We do this every Friday at this time from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we're going to delve back into 9 11, uh, an area obviously we've uh, talked about quite a bit. We still hear the music. This is taking a lot off. Okay, I guess we'll just talk over the music. Tony, my music's still there. Okay. Usually it should have faded out. There you go. Okay. Um, Captain Dan Hanley uh, has uh, formed an organization called 9-11 Pilot Whistleblowers. He's going to tell us all about his experience and how he came to do this. Uh, Captain Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Don. Thanks for having me on the program. I appreciate it. Uh, perhaps I should start out by just giving a brief resume of my flying experience. I was a pilot my entire working life. I'm retired now, but... Uh, I wanted to be a pilot ever since I was a little kid. Uh, and my dream came true at age 19 in 1968, uh, 55 years ago, when I entered a two-year flight training program as a civilian and got my private commercial instrument of multi-engine rating by 1970 before entering a four-year school, four-year university. Uh, and when I graduated, the Vietnam War was still raging and I had to make service plans or get drafted. So. I'd spent all this money uh, learning to fly, so I chose naval aviation and uh, got my wings in 74. And over the course of the next 10 years, I flew the P-3 Orion aircraft, which is a four-engine turboprop used to track Soviet subs during the, uh, during the Cold War. In 1978, I was hired by United Airlines as a pilot. And over the course of the next 25 years, I flew seven different commercial jet aircraft. Uh, all totaled over a 35-year career span. Uh, I flew uh, 20,000 flight hours in 15 different aircraft, and uh, it all ended tragically for me in 2003 when I spoke out about issues concerning 9-11 and was illegally terminated as a Boeing 777 captain at United Airlines by management and the FAA. But that would be a whole story by itself, Don. It would take a whole program to explain what happened there. But uh, the reason I bring up my flight credentials is it, it relates to what we're going to be talking about, and that's the 9-11 hijackers. And I just want to say, with all my experience, and there are others with more experience than I that will agree with what I'm about to say, but uh, I can say without reservation or embarrassment that I could not have flown the 9-11 flight profiles, and neither could the 9-11 uh, hijackers, and we'll get into that in a minute. But uh, I currently live in Islamabad, Pakistan, and no, I'm not hiding out over here. I met, fell in love with, and married a Pakistani uh, 13 year, years ago, and have lived here ever since. But uh, I currently serve as the uh, director and international public spokesperson for this grassroots effort, it's global, called 9-11 Pilot Whistleblowers. And we've got a website at 911pilots.org, if you want to call that up, we'll be talking about some 
uh, of the items on that. And we've also got a YouTube channel at 911 Pilots. But the purpose of this organization is to show that the Muslim hijackers were not controlling the 911 aircraft, but that the aircraft were electronically hijacked and remotely controlled through employment of a system called the uninterruptible autopilot that enables a remote source to take complete control of the aircraft autopilot and flight management computer and fly it to its target. And once this system is engaged, the pilots cannot disconnect it. They're along for the ride. Uh, our, one of our goals has been to recruit highly trained and experienced pilots, whether they're active or retired, military or civilian, from around the world who will back my assertion I just made. And what we've done is we have got, gotten interviews from pilots from around the world, and it's on that website I just mentioned under pilot interviews, and they agree with what I say. The, uh, the hijackers were totally unqualified on those aircraft and too inexperienced to have flown the flight profiles. And uh, we can get into that in just a bit here. But uh, some people say, when I bring up remote control aircraft, uh, some people say, well, that's not possible. How, how could that be? But uh, we go into that on the remote control page of the website. And uh, actually, it goes back over to 79 years ago in 1944, towards the end of World War II, United, Ar uh, United, Air States, United States Army Air Corps launched an operation called Operation Aphrodite in, London, in England. Mm -hmm. And what they did was take, uh, they took old B-17 bombers and gutted them out to lighten the weight of the aircraft and loaded them up with 30,000 pounds of Torpex, which is a highly incendiary compound. And pilots were required to make the takeoff, but once they got airborne, they'd bail out and these aircraft were remotely guided to targets in Europe. Now that was 79 years ago. Uh, and we mentioned on the website that Joe Kennedy, JFK's older brother, yes, yes. Was, was killed on one of these top secret missions when the aircraft blew up due to a malfunction before he could bail out of the aircraft. So we got a short film clip that shows that, but uh, uh, there's a lot of other examples we could cite, but I'm only gonna, I'm gonna jump ahead 40 years to 1944 and imagine the technology advances from 1944 to, I mean, 1984. Okay. And in 1984, NASA and the FAA conducted a, a joint crash test experiment in a remote location where they took uh, four engine uh, turbo, four engine uh, jet aircraft, uh, a Boeing 720 and loaded it up with crash dummies and cameras because they wanted to test crew and passenger survivability in the event of a, a crash landing. And what they did was without pilots or crew on board, they took this airplane off by remote control, flew it around the uh, pattern several several times before intentionally crash landing it. And it's all on film on our, our website. But uh, now if you jump, that was 17 years before 9-11 that they were remotely guiding commercial jet aircraft. If you jump ahead to the early to mid nineties, that's where we claim that I'm getting, let me get rid of my hide chat here. Uh, I'm reading the chat here. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that distracting? I don't have to put them. I, I usually just put them up for people. I, 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 okay. Go ahead and leave, go ahead and leave them up. I'll try not to read them because okay, they're sorry. But, uh, 
that's when we claim this uninterruptible autopilot system was developed. And there's a Wikipedia article. If you just Google uninterruptible autopilot, it pops up as a Boeing Honeywell uninterruptible autopilot. And it's somewhat misleading in that they claim the system was patented in 2006 after 9-11, which is true. We've got a copy of the patent. But we know for a fact it was developed prior to that due to whistleblowers that have come forward that said they actually worked on the system or had knowledge that it was being developed during this time frame. So that's what we claim uh, was employed on 9-11. Now, why do we claim that? Well, you got to get into the hijackers themselves. I said that they weren't uh, uh, trained on the aircraft. So uh, Hani Hanjur was a 29-year-old Saudi Arabian hijacker who supposedly flew American 77 into the Pentagon. Uh, Hani came to the States in the mid-90s and took some flight training and was a very poor student. It was, it's very well documented, including in the mainstream media. Then we got press items on the uh, hijackers page that points that out. But it was well documented that he was a very poor student, uh, so much so that he, when he returned to the States just prior to 9-11, uh, the school that he had been enrolled in before refused to uh, enroll him again because they didn't want to waste assets on him. So let's talk about the maneuver that American 77 supposedly uh, achieved here. It took off from Washington Dulles heading for the West Coast. And it got to cruise altitude for a while before making an about phase turn back to Washington, D.C. Started its descent, and at around 7,000 feet, it commences this descending, accelerating corkscrew turn to arrive precisely at the surface without striking it at over 500 knots to strike just be uh, without skidding the surface. It was just a few feet off the surface to strike the Office of Naval Intelligence on its first try. So what, what's wrong with that, that picture? Well, this same maneuver is replicated in a simulator and flown by highly experienced pilots. And when they tried it, they crashed the simulator. The trick, it wasn't the 330-degree turn, but getting it down to the surface at that speed and altitude without skidding the airplane on the surface or crashing it. So it gets even better than that, Don, because uh, one month prior to 9-11, Hani Hanger goes to the freeway airport in Maryland and wants to run a single-engine light prop-driven airplane from freeway airport and they wouldn't rent it to him. He went up with two separate pilots on three three evaluation flights. They weren't training flights, okay? And they both came back and told the chief instructor, who I talked to last year that confirmed this story with me, uh, that he couldn't handle the airplane. They wouldn't rent it to him. So why, why didn't this appear in the 9-11 Commission final report? Because it was suppressed by the FBI and the... Uh, the uh, 9-11 commission. The, uh, he goes down the road, Hani Hanjur does, three days later, and supposedly rented an airplane and went up flying with an instructor named Benny Shalev. And uh, he uh, came back and said he was a good pilot. So what appears in the 9-11 commission final report? One time they mentioned Eddie Shalev saying he was a good pilot and it was only mentioned as a footnote, an end note 
in the final report. So who is Eddie Shalev? He is an Israeli who served in the Israeli Defense Force. Now you can draw your own conclusions there based on what you uh, uh, want to believe, who you want to believe was involved in 9/11. But uh, that that's Hani Hanjour. But the other the other two hijackers, people say, look, all they had to do was point the airplane at two big buildings and go. Uh, well. That's not as easy as you think. I've t I wasn't a fighter pilot myself, but I've talked to fighter pilots that said, look, it takes a lot of training to target an airplane, especially at that speed. And if you look at those twin tires, they were only uh, 208 feet wide and the wingspan's about 150 feet. So there wasn't a lot of margin for error. I mean, if they'd been a few, few degrees off heading, uh, they would have missed the building altogether. So we, we equated to suppose you had driven. Somebody said, I know Phil McConnell. Yes, I do. I know him, <laughs> him since 2006. My audience knows it's stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, I, he actually introduced me to this system in 2007, and we've been friends ever since. But uh, anyhow, uh, if you imagine you had your driver's license in the family car for about a year. And then you get in a semi-tractor trailer truck, an 18-wheeler, get it up to a real high speed and try to drive it to a garage without scraping the sides of the truck. That's about how difficult a maneuver would have been, have, have been. Or get into a Formula One race car and try to keep it on the track that you've never driven before. So we say the whole story is absurd. And I know I'm going to get comments in the chat on this. But 9-11 pilot whistleblowers does not address planes, no planes, or whether a missile or an airplane hit the Pentagon. Sure. Well, well, well what's, what's great is that you, you're, unlike people like me, a community college dropout and a rabble, lifeline rabble rouser and lots of people in the chat room, you're a genuine expert. So nobody should know more about whether these planes could do what they claim they could do than someone who had been an airline pilot uh, as long as you had. As you say, you couldn't have done it. Uh, it, that 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 holds a lot of weight and but i'm wondering like um 2001 comes up you had already been i guess a pilot for 23 years at that point right so um what was there i mean what was your life like before that i always ask people like this because as i said i i've been a ra a rabble rouser my entire life i was awake you know as a teenager and i was working for mark lane citizens committee of inquiry already about the jfk assassination my entire life has been like this. So I never landed like a normal life. And then suddenly I woke. Uh, what was it? Were you, because, you know, you a, a successful job, an airline pilot, very prestigious job. Uh, you're making a good living. Uh, were you, what were your politics like before then? What, what, tr did this trigger in you something different that you just, you had to speak out about? It? I'm just wondering if this, if this was uh, something you were already predisposed to, or did this event really change the way you looked at the world? I had changed the way I looked at the world somewhat, but uh, I won't get into why I was grounded. But anyhow, the event itself, initially, I uh, believed the official story. And then I saw holes in the security system, which I reported, which wound up eventually getting me terminated there. But uh, after they announced uh, the experience level or lack thereof, uh, of the hijackers, uh, that's when my eyebrows raised big time. 
and it changed my whole perspective on what happened there. And that's that sent me down the road. And then as that guy meant, I uh, met Phil McConnell in 2006, and he told me about the system. And that was my aha moment, okay? And I knew bin Laden did not have access to an uninterruptible autopilot. And I knew it was a Boeing Honeywell uninterruptible autopilot. And that isn't a Muslim con- company. So uh, yeah. it just led me to believe it was an inside job. Someone in the United States was involved in this thing. And that led me down to where I am today. Well, were, were you as skeptical? I mean, I again, I, I know nothing like you do as far as an expert, but I was skeptical, a lot of us were from the beginning, as to why uh, why these planes were taken over so easily. Because uh, it, it, what we've been told is that the, uh, the hijackers were armed with box cutters and plastic knives. And, you know, I worked with box cutters in the warehouse, you know, I was young. And, uh, I, yeah, they can give you a nasty cut, but I, I, I don't know that I would give up an airplane because of a box cutter. Did, did you question that? Is it why, why the passengers, or at least before they even got to the pilot, why the passengers didn't say, you know, what, what are you talking about? We're not going to, you know, we're not going to let you have the plane. I mean, th- th- right. that seemed very strange to me. Well, Don, that brings up the question on whether or not the uh, hijackers were even on board the aircraft. Right. right. I mean, some people say they weren't on the manifest. There's no camera showing yes, them yes. Yep. get on the airplane. So, Maybe they weren't even on there and just this uninterruptible autopilot system took over. Well, there's other indications that perhaps they were like Mohammed Atta made a voice transmission. Everybody remained calm. We're going back to land. Right. And then there was a transmissions out of an airplane of United 93 out in Pennsylvania where they were screaming, get out of here, get out of here. So there's arguments both ways, whether or not they were on the airplane, but if the hijackers were on the aircraft, even if the passengers were able to overtake them and uh, and get the aircraft back under control, if the if the intent was to crash airplanes into buildings or take them up elsewhere and let something else happen to these buildings, uh, that this uninterrupted autopilot would guarantee that that would occur. And who, yeah. who would be who would be controlling the? Because uh, uh, as you mentioned, there's so many theories. You have. Uh, Judy Wood and, and people like that. You have people thinking holograms and 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 uh, there are people that believe the build that uh, the World Trade Center was empty and there's there's all kinds of stuff. But and because it wasn't investigated, that's what happens. Just like in the JFK assassination, you get a lot of theories because the there's nobody that you can trust that's investigating it with the resources to do it properly. But um, when you how this thing works, explain a little how this this would work and. Who would be, presumably, it would be the inside job people that would be controlling the planes? Right. And that, right. and, and that, the, but the passengers would still be on there, right? They just, exactly. Un, un, yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And there's some, some argument about an aircraft swap. And I could give you an example of why people believe that was the case that it was an aircraft would swap with a, uh, a tanker aircraft, a military aircraft. But we can talk about that in a minute. But uh, as far as the system operation goes, uh, on the website under articles in the drop-down menu at the top, there's uh, something that says MH370, and it talks about uh, the Malaysia Air 370 and the electronic hijacking mm-hmm. of that. But it goes into a lot of detail about the, uh, the system development and what inputs there are, and technically, you got a flight management computer on there and basically whatever is programmed into the flight management computer 
if certain modes of flight are enabled, that's where the airplane's going to go uh, because it's the people don't realize that the navigation systems on today's modern commercial jet aircrafts derived from cruise missile technology. So as far as who controlled it, it could have been the FAA, it could have been another airplane airborne, or it could have been NASA satellite input. Any, any vehicle or device that could uplink uh, navigation data into the flight management computer, and the system has its own power source. So there's no way they can shut it off once it's activated. So uh, that's basically, I, if I said I knew a lot more about it down, I'd be lying to you, but basically that's it. Well, I, well I, you having the expertise you have and being what you were, it's, it uh, like I said it uh, carries a lot of weight, but um, so most of us were, and I, I was aware, and I, I've written a lot about this. My book, A Hidden History, had a big section on it. And uh, and my book coming out next year, The American Memory Hall, I'll have a lot more about 9-11, uh, deep diving into it, uh, a lot of the esoteric uh, stuff in it. But I, I was aware that uh, the year before 9-11, golfer Payne Stewart, very prominent figure, uh, had a terrible, I, I think all the oxygen suddenly sucked out of the cabin or something, and everybody on board died instantly. I'm sure you remember that. And uh, fighter jets were set up within 15 minutes. Oh, yeah, I remember now. Yeah. 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 And, and I talked in Hidden History about how, you know, how many times, how often um, they deploy fighter jets for things if something suspicious is going on in the air. The fact is, the, these planes flew around for about an hour and a half, I think, before the, the final one supposedly crashed into the Pentagon. Uh, and nothing was done. Unless they right. actually, unless they shot down the plane in Pennsylvania and lied about it, which they may, we don't really know what happened there, but they might have. Some people think that. Right. So, I mean, what were, were you again? What you know of, of uh, with the FAA and all that stuff? I mean, shouldn't uh, with the trillions we've spent on the military industrial complex over the year, shouldn't we have expected them to take some kind of action when you had these planes flying around the airspace, especially heading for the the heart of the defense system? Yes, as a matter of fact. My only uh, interface I've ever had with a system like that was when I flew P3s back in the Navy. There's a corridor around the uh, um, United States. It's called the Air Defense Identification Zone. And if you pop, uh, we would do low altitude operations and then pop up into the Air ADIS, it was called Air Defense Identification Zone, and break communication silence because we were on a covert mission and announce who we are, where we were, and squawk something on the transponder, okay? If we didn't do that, if we if we popped up as an unidentified uh, target, they only had so many minutes before they'd scramble on us, jets, and that was off the coast. Now, you talk about being in the high-density New York, uh, Washington area, and... Uh, how uh, well guarded that is. Uh, it's amazing that they didn't, well, we both know that they stood the military down and that's what happened. Uh, I had an air traffic controller go into a lot of detail about all the lapses that occurred that day, but I, I can't really reiterate them now, but I, I know they scrambled the jets out of Langley, the F-16s, two of them, and they were turned out over the ocean. So. Uh, yeah. What, what's when you 
when you first began having doubts uh, before, and by the way, there was a reference in uh, uh, my good good friend uh, George Ann Brown, who's uh, posting under Frankly, my dear. I guess you like Gone with the Wind, Georgia. That's that's an inside joke, I guess, for uh, somebody who lives in Georgia. But I think she was the one that said Field McConnell uh, ended up in jail. Is Field McConnell in prison? Yeah. What? Ha well, he's out now, and I, I yeah. contact. I'm in contact with him regularly, mm -hmm. and. We kept in contact, me, him, and uh, his cohort, David Hawkins, for several years. And then Field drifted off into other areas, going after Hillary and Obama. And right. then he got into child trafficking and pedophilia. Right. Okay. And that led him down to Broward County, Florida, where an attorney down there, he was stalking. Or they claimed he was stalking her. He had a online TV program. And he was given out her address and phone number and all this stuff. And he said she went to a judge and got a restraining order on him. And he either knowingly or unknowingly violated it. So this is a couple of years ago. The judge, I mean, they ordered him to be extradited to Florida. He was living in Plum City, Wisconsin at the time. And uh, they actually came out the house, arrested him, put the cuffs on him and took him <sighs> to jail for yeah. Yeah. a couple months. And then Florida demanded that he be extradited to Florida. So they drove him all the way down and threw him in jail down there. And uh, I, I heard it through the grapevine, although Fields never confirmed this with me, that a couple of times uh, there was a black gang in the prison that tried to kill him. But he eventually got out with an ankle bracelet and uh, was staying with... Uh, his son in Florida until he was able to get released and go back up to uh, Wisconsin. He's uh, he's doing a, a radio program with a woman whose name escapes me right now. But other than that, uh, he's kind of, we just released a documentary and he just said, congratulations and good job and all that. And that was the last time uh, I, I've heard from him. That was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, We'll talk about the documentary. This is your documentary? It's 9-11 uh, Pilot Whistleblowers. It's called 9-11, The Advent of the Ninth Crusade. And essentially, there, people go, well, there were more than nine crusades, but uh, or eight crusades. But there were eight major crusades, and we're claiming this was the Ninth Crusade, and in part was designed to attack Islam and Muslims. Uh, and uh, it goes into detail and suggests that possibly... Uh, Zionist members of the governments of the United States and Israel were involved in the well, planning. We see the dancing Israelis, and that's obviously in the news now, what's going on over there. Israel's relevant. But Felix Caraballo, is, uh, he's asked twice now about the, and I, you know, Shanksville may be the, the strangest aspect of all this. You look at that, I mean, there's so many different reports, but, uh, you know, basically all the early officials came and said, what, you know, where's the plane? What plane? Well, how did, I guess they're asking you, at, at, under your right. Theory, how would you explain that? Well, I was working with a guy named, I can't think of his name right now, but anyhow, he did, he's done extensive Freedom of Information Act work. Uh, and he had tons of files on everything. And he, he claims that there was aircraft debris scattered over 70 acres in Shanksville and that there were body parts found that a forensic pathologist did DNA sample checks and compared it to passengers on board. But that information comes from the U.S. government. Don, why don't you ask me how much I trust 
<laughs> the U.S. government. Uh, uh, yeah, well, you're right. You're right. <laughs> there's no <laughs> nobody watching this show that trusts the U.S. government. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, so uh, yeah. there's they would be uh, suspicious. And that's the thing is that this is, and that's why you're whether it was remote controlled or or whatever. We obviously, I think the important thing is that we what we were told is impossible. This, this fear, theory of, you mentioned the, the hijackers and whether they were on the planes or not. I mean, you're right. The, the manifests are all messed up and I I'll have in my next book, the fact that Mohammed Atta, uh, his father uh, was interviewed in on German television, I think not over here. And uh, said that his son called him the day after nine 11 and said the, uh, the Mossad was trying to frame him or something. So really, I what never is heard that, that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what, yeah. So what does what does that mean? I mean, so <laughs> when you're if if you're if your hijackers you're promoting are still alive, then obviously they weren't. So yeah, the, the whole story just stinks to high heaven. And what what happened obviously what's what it's been used for to restrict our civil liberties is you know obviously what's what makes it so important. But so I'm just trying to get to, and I know you didn't want to you said it's a whole show in itself, but talk a little bit about because this is what happens to people when you talk out. I mean you had twenty right. over twenty years experience. Uh you're, you're, you're five years so, so well yeah but was was it thirty five at that time? Okay. Yeah. yeah so you yeah. you um so you're you obviously this is an area of expertise for you. You know, right. and and so uh, you you're looking at something it doesn't add up so you're you're and how did so how did you and this is what really troubles me when when people get you know effectively canceled over any anything but uh you were you're allowed to have your views what exactly did you do that they said that that caused you to you, you lost your career over this right okay before i start into this i am mentally stable but that's basically how they try to get me off the property sure, sure. <laughs> People in the chat room will say, I'm glad he's not flying anymore. He's crazy, but I'm not. I, I got paperwork to prove that. No, but uh, yeah. essentially, I was flying a Boeing 777 out of New York. Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, I was up there on 9 11, supposed to go to London that night. But anyhow, a lot of the flight attendants I was flying with lost friends on United 93 that crashed out in Pennsylvania. And they were freaking uh, over what happened. And the company, and the FAA made promises on what they were going to do. They were going to reinforce the cockpit door, which they did. They were going to have secondary barrier protection of the cockpit, which they didn't. Cameras in the back, no. Air marshals, no, I didn't see one for two years. So there was more, more than that, but there was a lot of stuff they weren't addressing. And these flight attendants, I'd come back on my break one time, and uh, this one flight attendant who had lost a dear friend in Pennsylvania is crying. She was so scared. I said, you need to take some time off, hon. Uh, this is obviously impacting you. She said, well, you got to say something. You got to do something. Well, being a captain, I felt uh, obliged because there were other flight attendants and some pilots saying this to me. So I just went on. I, at that time, on the seniority list, I was about number 100 out of uh, 10,000 pilots. So uh, I knew all the senior level union people and management, not all of them, but a lot of them anyhow. So I went in just at the uh, office level to my chief pilot and said, hey, Bob, these uh, people are complaining about lack of security on the airplane. He goes, Dan, TSA is tough. Uh, these guys are nasty. He says, we approached them about a lot of different things. And then I start getting uh, warnings like this. Keep your head down or you're going to lose it. If you take this to the next level, uh, you're going to lose your job. 
and people say, I'm watching it, Dan, these guys are nasty. So I was getting all these verbal warnings. And so I start getting stonewalled. I wrote a letter to the uh, executive vice president of safety for United Airlines. And it was politely worded, but it wasn't very nice. And he came back and said to me in a letter via the chief pilot, you tell that son of a bitch that if he thinks he can do better than I do, the effect of Monday morning, he can be the next vice president of safety. And I thought, what the hell kind of answer is that? So <laughs> I'll take so, it. Thank you for the promotion. <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, uh, I start writing reports. I, first, I started writing letters, a few letters. And uh, I decided I, because I was going up against one of the largest airlines in the world that was in bankruptcy and was a victim carrier in 9-11, that was not a good thing to be doing, but I decided to create an audit trail, a correspondence trail. So I started writing letters and sending emails, and I was even recording phone calls, okay, and was getting nowhere. So I decided to write a letter to the CEO of United Airlines because they were in bankruptcy, and a corrupt judge was giving the company everything they wanted, which had the unions on the ropes, uh, unable to represent in my interest. They even told me this, okay. Look, we're on the ropes. Uh, we don't have a lot of bargaining power right now. So my chief pilot, I called him and said, I'm sending this letter to the CEO. He goes, Dan, send it to me first, and I'll send it to the lawyers in Chicago. So not my chief pilot. This is my union boss. So he did that. Long story short, I called the uh, union lawyers after I came off a trip, and I said, did you read the letter I'm sending to uh, – the CEO, he goes, yes. I go, do you agree with the contents? And he said, yes, we do. I said, well, you're my attorney. What do you recommend to send the letter in or not? And the grievance committee chairman who was on speakerphone with us said, <clears throat> go ahead and fly that. No, excuse me. Go ahead and send that airplane, that letter in. If you never want to fly another airplane again in your life. I said, why? What are they going to do to you? Mean? They said, they'll find a way to professionally, medically, psychologically or otherwise ground you. We've seen it happen before. So I had to, and to take the precaution I took there was, I, I had seen guys grounded medically on psychological ground. So I went to the best, highest paid, uh, highest cost psychologists and psychiatrists, mental health professionals in Atlanta where I was living at the time. And said, look, here's what I'm up against at United. They're gonna try to ground me I'll come here for psyche valves, tests, whatever you need to get the paperwork to show I'm mentally stable, which is what I did. So um, anyhow, I keep looking down here at these. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I, I mean, oh, you leave, I'm you just can, so you used leave, to putting them, them up, you know. No, leave, leave them on. Okay. <laughs> I start reading them and I lose my train of thought. I, I can't do two things at once. Tom. Sorry. But anyhow, I'm lengthening this out. What, what wound up happening was, uh, I didn't send the letter, and I sent federal reports that brought the FAA, and when they did that, I did that took me out of schedule uh, without warrant. And then after a period of time, they put me on sick list without me having seen a doctor. So I called my chief pilot and said, this is punitive. I haven't done anything wrong. And he goes, look, submit to the employee assistance program. All you got to do is go up and see a doctor in Chicago, and it's, it's endorsed by the FAA, the company, and the union. And that'll be the end of it, you know? So I thought, well, that's easy enough because I was going to go non-pay. So I went up there and they wound up sending me over to see a shrink. 
who diagnosed without me only seeing her 15 minutes, diagnosed me as being bipolar with me not exhibiting any symptoms of that. And uh, they grounded me for life on that diagnosis. So I know I know a Delta pilot named Carlene Pettit. This just happened to, but she, she spent $900,000 in seven years of her life fighting it. And she actually won her case darn. Mm-hmm. It, it made the news and everything. So what me and a group of pilots are going to do, because this is, systemic in the industry is we're creating another grassroots group called the whistleblowing airline pilots association and we're going to target the faa and the company and we got a long line of guys and we're going to interview them and videotape them and put uh put it out on uh social media and everywhere else and try to attack the faa and these managers because this has been going i know of a case from 25 years ago so this has been going on forever and it's unsafe because when something happens to a pilot like me, it sends a chilling signal out to every other would-be whistleblower sure, out there sure. to keep your head down or you're going to lose it. So uh, we think it's unsafe, and we wanna, we're not going to take it to court, at least we don't think we are, but we want to take it to the court of public opinion and try to get it out and get, get on programs like yours and say, hey, look, here's what's going on out here. You really need to know because all they, all they want – are compliant pilots. Pilots will get in the cockpit, strap the airplane to their butt, fly it, and don't don't make waves. They don't want you to speak out about anything highly controversial anyhow. Well, we're seeing, uh, I'm sure you realize uh, with COVID, we're, we saw a lot of that with the vaccines as well. With right, a, lot, a right. lot of the pilots did not want to get vaccinated. And then you had, uh, I heard that they were, they were covering up uh, heart, heart disease uh, from the pilots that had been vaccinated and that they even they lowered the standards or something for heart disease which is you talk about safety yeah, I, mean, I, just, I mean i just got off the phone uh, right before the program here with a pilot at american who's been taken out of schedule and put in on administrative leave because he refused to get vaccinated and he's suing american airlines and the union over this and it has to do with how uh, these companies have usurped the authority of the federal aviation regulations when it comes to medical certification of pilots. And uh, that's what he's attacking them on. So uh, anyhow, it is, it is, it is obscene, Don. And uh, what, what upsets me as a pilot, okay, back, I realized in October, 2001, talking to my union boss in New York, that they were going to use United Airlines to try to extract massive concessions from all airline employees, which they did. And I was running around saying, we got to say something, we got to do something. And they said, no, if we say anything right now, the patriotic fervor is so high that we'll be crucified as pilots if we tried to do a job action or walk off the job or something like that. But what saddens me is, here it is, 20 two years later, and I'm not the only pilot out there that doesn't believe the hijackers couldn't have flown the airplane. And had, I believe, had the pilots spoken out in 2002, shock and awe wouldn't have occurred in 2003. They would have drawn enough attention to that, but it never happened. And it's still not happening. Even the pilot interviews we did, it was like pulling teeth to get pilots to come out and talk about this. They're afraid of 
It's understandable because of the backlash. And, uh, you know, you I, I wanted to ask what happened again, because you, you make a good living and I'm sure you probably have good benefits. And that's hard to to risk that, uh, well, especially, it, especially if you have a family. It destroyed my life practically, uh, Don. I lost a 27-year marriage that alienated my two kids who blamed me for the divorce. Uh, uh, they still believe the official story and don't talk to me. They're adults now. I lost $4 million in pay pension stock, and it destroyed uh, a 35-year career and ruined my reputation as a pilot. So they took <laughs> all that from you? I thought maybe they released you with a disability pension or something. Well, I did, I did but my ex-wife got half of that. But uh, yeah. that only lasted uh, for a while. Now, now I live on a meager pension that was totally decimated by this judge in the United Bankruptcy. Uh, they, they distressed terminated a $10 billion pension fund and handed it over to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. Yeah. And I get, I get a pittance compared to what I should have had. So I live on, on that and my Social Security right now. Don. Well, you, you and you put it and I, I just again, I'm not I, I, I interview so many people like you in different areas that are whistleblowers of one sort or another. And unfortunately, their stories are very similar in terms of losing everything. Right. You know, so and, right. And, it, and when people hear your story and other stories, they're even less reluctant to come forward because you're it destroys families. Uh, I can't tell you how many there's I don't know if I've talked to anybody. There was a prominent whistleblower whose marriage r remained intact. And right. most of the time, as you said, the kids end up blaming them, too. So they're ostracized from their entire family and right. they lose everything. And so, I, you know, I my hat's off to you to have the courage to do that. I don't maybe you didn't think that would happen. But uh, there's so many people that uh, that I've interviewed that it did happen to. And it, it's all different fields. But uh it's it's why we don't have more whistleblowers because not only are they treated the way you were treated by the company they're, they're never welcomed at all. Right. They're they there's you know what do you what are you giving us information especially if you're pointing the finger at the company you you weren't exactly doing that in this case but you were just you were expressing an opinion that was widespread. Lots of us out here were saying this is this is impossible. There are lots of holes in this story and you should right. be allowed to have that opinion. But what we've seen in recent years we saw it with COVID and the election and everything else that people have been fired from their jobs for yes. expressing opinion. So I, I don't, so I'm wondering if you, do you get together with whistleblowers of, of, of any other kind at all? Or is it because there's, there's lots of people out there that have, have gone through the same kind of thing, just, you know, trying to blow the whistle on one kind of corruption or other. Well, it's not in a different industry, but Carlene Pettit, I just mentioned to you, uh, she's involved with this whistleblowing airline. Pilots Association, where we're going to expose this uh, illegal termination of pilots on uh, psyche valves. Uh, but the pilot I just talked to you that's doing uh, uh, American Airlines, he uh, he uh, is on administrative leave and has been for a few years. So he has he's non-pay right now. So he he's being punished big time for speaking out on this issue. So I. I tweeted something a little while ago that said, uh, "Speak out, become a don't be afraid, become a whistleblower. The worst they can do to you is kill you." <laughs> exactly right. As a, and I, I want to say, Chris Graves is uh, <clears throat> in the chat room. He's one of my primary researchers. He knows more about this than, than just about anybody on the face. Tony, if you want, Chris, if you want to, Tony, uh, 
if you're out there listening, send send Chris the stream here links. I'm sure he'd love to jump on. He always has a million questions, and his questions are usually better than mine because he's uh, he's he's I rely on him and a couple other people too, uh, Peter C. Kasha, uh, for this uh, research because it's it's um, it's a hard job now trying to trying to find these things and to find information because the search engines uh, bury stuff and they they yeah. make it hard to find things. You can't use Google at all anymore. Right. Well, there's somebody saying when I was flying C-130s, thirty miles. Yeah, he's talking about uh, the ages I was just talking about, and the yeah, yeah. Norad with lunch, and that's and that's uh, <clears throat> that's what most people. Again, I'm no expert in this area, but it sure seemed like the FAA and Norad. You know, that's that's what I think people when they start out questioning on eleven, they 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 start with the okay. At the very least, they stood down and did nothing because they're they didn't respond. I mean, that's, it's, there's right. You know, that's, that's so even if this was portrayed, there was real hijackers doing all this. They did nothing to try to stop it. Correct. Correct. So, yeah, I, I believe they were stood down. I wish I could remember the name of the guy I talked to. He was a, uh, career, uh, <clears throat> air traffic controller. And I listened to him on a, an interview and he went into great detail on, who dropped the ball and who probably blocked uh, the fighters from taking off to be to intercept these fights. You see, there's a question from Felix Caraballo that, uh, do you know anything about Rebecca Roth? Yeah, she used, to be, she used to be my Facebook friend and we had chatted for a while. And I believe she really was a flight attendant based on what she said to me. But uh, she wound up blocking me on Facebook because uh, she <laughs> badmouthed Field McConnell. And I made the mistake of publicly defending her in a, him in a polite way and she blocked me but uh yeah. i know i know all about her books and she calls it the flight termination system instead of uh the uninterruptible autopilot system and i think you can use the term interchangeably because we're both talking about the same system but there is a patent on a system called the uninterruptible autopilot that does what i just said it does and the the advertised purpose of the uninterruptible autopilot is to prevent would-be hijackers from commandeering a commercial jet aircraft in flight by remotely taking control of the aircraft and flying it to one of many airports in the world to auto land it, okay? And they they came out with this announcement, hey, we patented this in, in 2006, which is garbage because we know it was developed well before that. But I think they wanted to lead people when they saw this system say, uh, oh, look, they've come up with an anti-hijacking device to prevent another 9-11 well i talked i talked to a guy at length and we've got an we've got an interview on the uh, remote control page and it's uh one done by the late rob balsamo who was a co-founder of pilots for 9-11 truth of a avionics technician called wayne anderson and they go into great detail about how the signals are routed through the transponder mode s into the flight management computer. But the most critical part of that interview was when Rob asked him, when did you see the system work? And he said, well, it was late 96, early 97 on a Boeing 757 aircraft. So that's five or six years before 9-11. So, uh, and he told me when I talked to Wayne, he uh, said to me, yeah, after I made that recording, McDonnell Douglas, 
contact me and say, what the hell did you make that do that interview for? You're causing a lot of trouble for people. And uh, he claimed he was being stalked for a while. So uh, I wanted to interview him, but he was too paranoid, I think, uh, for me to do so. So uh, Chris tells us that uh, Roth and Methodical Illusion is bad news and 9-11 truth. Um, you know, they, and this is a problem when you see blocked you. That's the kind of, unfortunately, behavior we find when people should be working together. And there's so many personalities. Track some uh, some uh, interesting personalities. Uh, George Ann says David Hawkins just passed away. I knew that. Yeah. Oh, you knew you I, knew that. I I introduced David uh, Field in 2006. They, David emailed me and uh, wanted to talk to me. So we, he lives in British. Uh, he lived in Vancouver. And he talked to me for about two hours. And at the time, I was working. <laughs> This is 2006 time frame. I was working on exposing mobbed up judges in the Chicago area, federal and state court judges. That's another story by itself. So, but, you're, uh, so you're you're becoming a general whistleblower as well. White Wolf says the uh, only basically people you may uh, when you finally win the airlines, nobody's going to be flying because it's going to be too expensive or people won't have the money. I mean, they're <laughs> yeah. but anyhow, Dave, David and I talked for uh, a couple of hours and he freaked me out about all the information he had about, he claimed himself to be a forensic economist that he tracked dirty money. And uh, the stories he was telling me, I, I was so involved with what I was doing with the judges that I said, look, he was looking for a fighter pilot, really. I said, I'm not one, but I know one. And I think I can put you in touch with him. Well, Field, let me go back and explain this. Field, I found out through the grapevine because I had a big email list at Northwest Airlines, he was a DC-10 captain there. They were trying to force him, the, the FAA, the company, and the union were trying to force him to see a quack FAA shrink out in LA named mm -hmm. Doc Elliott because they wanted him to undergo a psychological screening. And I got, a, got his no, phone number through my email list and called him and introduced myself. And I go, Field, where are you with this? And he told me, and I said, don't do it. It's a setup. And he resigned a few days later uh, so he could serve as an expert witness on future litigation. And he lost about four million bucks, too, because he was like he had nine, nine uh, years to go before he was supposed to retire. But anyhow, uh, I told David Hawkins, let me introduce you to this guy, Phil McConnell. And I, I did an email introduction to both of them and they connected and worked together for years. But uh it was kind of tragic because they fell, fell away from one another. And uh, at the end, uh, they, they really weren't friends, I don't think, anymore. So Yeah, well, that's, I'm, I'm one, and that's the problem again with all this, with the JFK 9-11 or anything else. People just, uh, they clash. I, I, you talked about 9-11 uh, Pilots uh, for Truth or whatever. That's, that's a big organization. Did you have any uh, affiliation with them, or do you know many people oh, I, there? That's I was not, are you I a, member? a member? Okay. I was a member. Uh, they had two co-founders, Rob Balsamo, who passed away last year. And the other one who in, invited me was a pilot named Captain Rusty Amer, who's probably the most qualified airline pilot in the world. Uh, as a matter of fact, whenever there was an airplane accident, they'd call Rusty and be on ABC, CNN, NBC as the uh, expert. Okay. But uh, he invited me in and I joined them, but I really wasn't very active. They only had about 300 members. And right now, I just had a guy contact me the other day saying, 
what happened to their website? Where's Ron Balsamo? On an email, so I said, well, he passed away last year. And Rusty Amer, the other one, I called him last year, and he ran away from uh, Pilots for 9-11 Truth because he claims he was being uh, stalked. Yeah, there's so, so many. And I don't, I don't know why. There's so much infighting. You have the Let's Roll forums, the guy that runs that over there. I don't know what, you know, what's going on. There's a lot of infighting there. And then you have my friend Richard Gage, who may be the biggest name in 9-11 Truth. Who for, who I know found, yeah, who founded you know architects and engineers for 9 right. Truth, and and he was thrown out of his own organization. I know it's, yeah. it's a pain. Yeah, he's interviewed me before when he. I don't know if he still has his his program, but yeah, uh, I think he does. And he he, he was we I I met him in New York um, last month. And we had a, a, a thing for Free FM up there with uh, my friend Billy Ray Valentine, and Tony Arterburn, who produces the show. And Tony, by the way, I don't know if you heard me or not, but. Uh, send send the StreamYard link if you get a chance to Chris Graves, if he's interested, if he's feeling up to coming on, because I'm sure he'll have a, he'll have a lot of uh, great questions and he can add to the, the discussion. He's he's uh, he's a font of information, that's for sure. <clears throat> and uh, but um, so that's the, the problem is you have you have so many people that are. What do you think of? Do you know Judy Wood? What do you think of her theory? That's very controversial. I don't know her. I haven't read the book, but I say to myself, I mean, I contact, I've been friends with Richard Gage for a while and I emailed him a few years ago because people were always on my case about justification and I was weighing what I believed in my head. And I emailed Richard and said, Richard, why, why is Judy Wood excluded from the 9-11 truth movement? And he gave me a whole series of reasons why he didn't think her theory was valid. But in my mind personally, if you take, I don't know the exact figure, say 550,000 tons of steel and concrete that was dustified all the way to the surface in less than 11 seconds at the free fall acceleration due to gravity. What happened to that steel and concrete? I mean, it was yeah. turned to dust. And yeah. you know the, you know, the nanothermite, theory that's the one that's out there saying it brought it down well that melts steel and would cause the building to collapse but what would turn it to dust that's the only question i have and when i when i heard her dustification term i thought well that's exactly what happened they turned steel and concrete to dust yeah and that's the thing i think we need we need to all uh <clears throat> but you know i i've been involved in this in the jfk research community since i was a teenager in the mid-1970s and uh that was uh, it was that way then, and it's gotten worse since it's online. People on infighting, and they don't come together to, for the common purpose of exposing the official story as, as being wrong. And that's the same thing in 9/11. We don't, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't discount anything, holograms, right. uh, empty buildings, all that stuff, because right. there's a lot of strange stuff uh, <clears throat> involved in 9/11. But uh, <clears throat> we should concentrate on the fact what they're telling you is wrong. No giant Arab in, in a cave, you know, somewhere directed all this stuff. And uh, they were able to do this with back box cutters and plastic knives. And no one fought back until uh, let's roll in flight 93. And there's all, you know, lots of reasons, obviously to question any of that. So, all right. So this, have you thought about writing a book or have, or, or, I, I already did. I started out. Uh, oh, you did. Okay. I wrote a manuscript just for my kids who are now adults. Right. And because they don't talk to me, I thought I can't explain to them in detail because they were younger back then uh, what exactly transpired to get me fired and why uh, their mom divorced me. But uh, 
that's what I was intending to write it for. And it wasn't in book form or anything. It was just me sitting down at a typewriter and typing the story. And uh, I had a guy a few years ago on Facebook, because I'm very vocal about 9-11 and other issues, uh, Zionist, you name it. And uh, he said to me, Dan, isn't it about time you write your book? Well, we connected. And it turned out he was a writer, screenplay writer, and an author. So I said, well, I've written this crappy manuscript. He goes, send it to me. So long story short, I did. And using Dropbox over a year and a half period, he created this book. And then I had a guy on Twitter come to me, and we talked about, it indicated to me, he knew something about the uninterruptible autopilot. We connected on Skype, and I was mentioned to him, uh, I'm, uh, I've written this book, and he said to me, uh, well, I, I can get it, I can edit it for you and get it published, self-publishing is all we're doing because no publisher would touch it. It's called, uh, it's got a long subtitle, but it's descriptive. It's called Grounded, and then the subtitle is Memoir of a 9-11 pilot whistleblower. So it's got my picture sitting in a cockpit. So people see grounded and a pilot in a cockpit and then say, this guy's a 9-11 pilot whistleblower. I thought they could draw it all together and maybe pick up the book and buy it. So well, when you started when you started questioning things at your work, um, did anybody agree with you? Any of your fellow employees, or were they all too scared? They were all too afraid. Some of them didn't some of them still believe the official stories, but others said Oh, Dan, you might raise a little, heighten a little awareness of uh, uh, of what went on, but nothing's going to come of it. Well, uh, nothing has yet, but I'm still still working on it. Uh, let me let me go back to the website and tell you. Uh, I'll keep reading these notes. Sorry, this is another question from Chris. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about slide eleven taking off from two gates, but uh, anyhow. Uh, you, you interviewed Barbara Honiger, so you yes, know about yes. the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 inquiry, yes, yes. and I know all those people and have worked with them uh, over the years, and they didn't they don't represent us, but uh, uh, a couple of years ago, the intent was, I'm going to interview pilots, I'm going to present it to the chief litigator, Mick Harrison, he's going to vet these guys, and we're going to submit all this information from a pilot's perspective to a, a U.S. attorney trying to force a grand jury investigation. And they never got around to doing that because they were always too busy with something else. So a couple of years ago, I thought I was working with some guys in our organization. I thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna test the system. I'm gonna prove that the United States will not investigate this. So I started out by calling the FBI and said, look, I, I have some criminal investigations for a pretty important crime. And they go, what's a crime? I go, you 9-11. They go, what's your, what's your information? I go, uh, the aircraft were electronically hijacked and remotely controlled. Long pause. I didn't hear a click. But they went, yeah, okay. So they took down information and said, look, if we got any questions, we'll call you. And I, I waited a month and called them back. They got real adamant with me. Well, that led me to the TSA. And they said, look, why don't you go to the FAA on this? So that's what I did. And I managed to get into their hotline and get them to open a case on this and assign an aeronautical engineer in Seattle to it. And once they discovered the depth and breadth of what I was addressing here and the information that we had on it, they tried to go silent on me, but I wouldn't let them. So it led, if you go to the homepage of our website, 
we've hyperlinked and we've put the letters that I've written or some of them on on the website. But we went to from the FAA to the Secretary of Transportation to the Director of National Intelligence, the Attorney General, the FBI Director, to Biden and other people in between saying, hey, look, we've got the system that exists and we explained it to them. And we say, Hani Hanjur couldn't have flown the airplane. So the only viable alternative explanation if American 77 hit the Pentagon is the employment of the uninterrupted autopilot system. So I, my last letter I just sent September 11th was to Biden. And I basically said to him, look, we've given you almost two years to investigate this. I know he's not going to read it. No. <laughs> Maybe nobody in the staff's going to read it, yeah. right? But I wanted to document the fact that we were telling them we're going to foreign countries. I live in Pakistan and I visited inter-service intelligence here, spilled my guts on all of it, but Pakistan's a debt slave to the IMF and uh, heavily d dependent upon U.S. aid and trade. So they're not going to go after any of this stuff. But uh, that's what we're trying to do right now, Don, is we know the U.S. government, although Lawyers Committee believes this, and as do other organizations out there, believe that eventually someone will reopen the 9-11 investigation. Well, there never was one, but uh, we'll yeah. open an investigation in the 9-11. And that's where I differ in opinion. I don't believe it will ever occur in the United States because the United States was complicit in the planning and execution, hmm. our knowledge of. Uh, depending upon what you want to believe. I believe the farmer, but uh, anyhow, so what we're doing is going to foreign countries. Somebody's saying, why do I live in Pakistan? Yes, Sam, Dodi Street. I met, fell in love with a married a Pakistani 13 years ago. Yeah. Lived here ever since, so. Uh, we're, going to foreign, we're going to foreign Muslim countries because we believe if we can say, hey, look, there were no Muslim hijackers flying the airplane. In light of the fact Islamophobia 22 years later is so rampant mm -hmm. that they would, they would be interested. We even went to an organization called the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, which is the Uni United Nations of the Muslim world. It's comprised of uh, 57 Muslim countries, and uh, they claim themselves to be the collective voice of the Muslim world. And we've written the Secretary General suggesting that through coordination with the foreign ministers of these countries that represent at the, at the uh, organization, they established a Muslim 9-11 uh, Muslim Commission called the Islamic Commission for 9-11 uh, Inquiry. But uh, we're, we're fighting an uphill battle doing that. Look at somebody else is reading something. Yeah, John Baskin said he, he's got a question for you there if you can see it. About flight eight hundred, flight eight hundred, TWA flight eight hundred. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't know how, how to. Well, I always think uh, flight eight hundred was shot down, but uh, yeah, I always thought that anyhow. But uh, again, most pilots went along with the narrative. It was actually a United pilot, I believe, that wrote a book on it and was trying to expose this as a whistleblower. I don't remember the guy. Sanders, Sanders, James Sanders, I think, yeah. 
Is that who it was? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I've had Jack Cashel on my show a couple times who wrote the book with him. But yeah, I tried to get Sanders on the show and he was going to, I don't know what happened, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of parallels there. But you can see, look, look what, I mean, I, you know, I'm always fond of saying, you know, people have to speak out, but um, it's easy for me to say, you know, but uh, look at what you gave up. I mean, I, you know, is your commitment to the truth and now you're happy. You found somebody else in all of the country, right. but. But do you have any contact at all with your old? Is are any of your family members supporting you, or did they all just abandon you? I, my ex-wife and I still talk, but she still believes the official story. So, she, her and my two kids think I'm a whacked out conspiracy nut. Yeah, I can't even bring up. And if I if I mention Israel, my son calls me a anti-Semite and everything else. Oh, I, Jesus! I haven't talked. My son, I talk to you off and on, but he he. Uh, talked in condescending term, uh, tones to me, which turned me off. And uh, all of a sudden, he just shut me off a couple of years ago. So I, I was keeping in loose contact with him. But my daughter, uh, who lives out in L.A., I think, refuses to give me her phone number uh, or her address and has forbidden my ex-wife or son to give me it. So... Uh, Really, it's down to periodically <sighs> talking to my ex, who my daughter shut her off too. So she still mm -hmm. talks to my son. So I'll periodically call her just to find out what's going on in my son's life. But he's uh, 42 years old. My daughter's 36. So they, were, they weren't little kids when this all happened. 20. That's, that's too bad. Well, I'm sorry. And as you look at the human cost of this, and, and I, you know, I, I can only, you know, without putting myself in their shoes, assume that, you know, because we saw that a little bit with, uh, you said the JFK assassination with Jim Garrison, uh, who, uh, you know, his his wife and, uh, you know, eventually left him because he was, because it disrupted their lives. And in your case, right. you, you were making a nice living and probably all they saw is that, well, you know, you had to go make a big deal out of this and they're, they're believing it for whatever reason. And uh, all they look at is what happened to their life. <clears throat> you know, why did you do this? You know, and then why did you yeah. have to mess everything up by becoming a conspiracy guy? Right. And, uh, so I, I, I have a, you know, a lot of uh, admiration for you and I'm sorry that uh, that happened to you, but it sounds like at least, at least you've, you found someone now and that must be some comfort to you. Yeah. And I'm 74 years old now. And people say, what the hell are you still doing this for? or 22 years after the fact, get over it. Nothing's going to happen. But I personally feel I don't know everything about 9-11, but I feel like I know too much to remain silent. Mm -hmm. And sure. being, being a pilot and knowing what I know and realizing that most people fell for this stupid 9-11 story that those hijackers flew the airplane is because they're not pilots and they cannot relate relate to the absurdity of this ludicrous notion that these pilots actually flew those airplanes. So on one count, that's why I want to be in there. But you know as well as I do, there's never been uh, an investigation into 9-11. I, I interviewed a guy, do you know Ray McGinnis? He had written a book. I've heard of Barnes, him. You know? Yeah, he lives in Vancouver. He wrote a book called, I got it written down here, Quest question unanswered questions what the families ask and the 9-11 commission re, uh, ignored and he told me that the the next of kin of the 
of, of the victims of 9-11 approached, well, first of all, the 9-11 commission wouldn't have even occurred had there not been pressure exerted by the next again. And then it didn't occur until, began until 11, four, 14 months after the fact. But they had a whole series of questions that they wanted the 9-11 commission to address. And of those, 70% went unanswered. And of the remaining 30%, only 10% were answered adequately. So that's the other reason I'm in, because I think about these guys, these, these next of kin that know, have known for 22 years, they've been lied to, who lost loved ones on 9-11, and they deserve to know the truth. So uh, the other reason is uh, I've lived in war-torn war Pakistan for 13 years, and I've witnessed on the news here a thing that never made the Western Zionist-controlled Western mainstream media news. So uh, I've seen the horrors wrought on the 240 million Pakistanis over here as a result of their forced participation in the war on terror. And that's what keeps me charged up because uh, there's 96% of the people in this country are Muslims. And... I feel like the two billion Muslim people on the planet have taken a bum rap for a crime they didn't commit. Absolutely. So, so well, how, how do they treat as as a white American? There, uh, are are you treated well? I mean, what, what's what's life like in Pakistan? Well, when I first came over here in 2010, I was almost petrified, thinking they hated Americans, and I was going to get stoned when I got off the airplane <laughs> because of the illegal drone strikes that were killing civilians, but. Nothing could have been further from the truth. I mean, I actually didn't wander out of the house for a few months when I was over here and then start gradually going out and having dinner or whatever. And uh, then I, I start mingling with people and they've been warm and friendly since I've been here. Uh, and uh, they don't like the U.S. government. They don't like U.S. foreign policy because people don't realize Pakistan was forced into the war on terror. Right. At, right after 9-11, then under Secretary of State Richard Armitage shows up over in Pakistan and told the leadership here, you either support us in our war on terror or we will, quote, bomb you, bomb you back into the Stone Age. Yeah. And General Musharraf at the time blinked and 70,000 lives and $120 billion later, <laughs> here we are today with a country that's in shambles uh, economically. Uh, Somebody. Well, I want to, and there you have a question on there for you too. But I wanted to ask, like, uh, what is what is it like there in terms of? Um, do you feel free? Do you feel like you're in a free country? Well, I can't get in too much on what's happened since a year ago, April, with regard to the ouster of Prime Minister Imran Khan. Mm -hmm. But uh, and I won't because they monitor communications here like you wouldn't believe, and uh, they've been arresting people for pretty simple thing so uh i feel i feel pretty free i can go anywhere i can go out for walks or jog or go to restaurants or the mall i'm but pakistani stare and there aren't a whole lot of white people over here so i'm, I'm used to going out in a crowd and have people looking at me so uh as far as that bin laden raid yeah uh, well, I have a good friend here that was introduced to me by Kevin Barrett, if you know who he is. Uh, yes. Yeah. His name is Dr. Mujahid Cameron. 
and he was a 40-year, 40 42-year physics professor at the University of Punjab in Lahore. Kevin introduced me to him, and he was chair of the department most of the time he was there. And he actually was a vice chancellor of the university his last eight years. And he stood up at a student assembly and made a remark that former ISI chief, Dr. General Hamid Gul, had told him that bin Laden died in 2005. Mm -hmm. And that didn't mesh with the official story. They drummed up charges on him, canned him out of this job. He's still out of that job. And even threw him in jail until the public outcry was so loud because he was a prominent figure that they had to release him. But uh, he's my confidant and my go-to guy on how Pakistanis and Muslims think because <laughs> he's a little <laughs> bit younger than me. He's a really good guy. He's written, he's written a book. It's called... Uh, Hold on, the name escapes me. Oh, 9-11 and the New World Order. Mm -hmm. And he knows everything. So uh, I bounce things off him all the time asking his opinion. But uh, as far as myself and the bin Laden raid goes, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I believe he was dead before 9-11. And I believe that uh, that really wasn't him up in uh, Abbottabad. Uh, but I can't go around spouting that, especially in light of what happened to my friend here. So, uh, exactly. Good morning, William Hill from Australia, from Land Down Under. Um, <clears throat> over in the Rockfin chat room, I, I don't know. Look, I got to tell you guys, I'm a little disappointed. Uh, I haven't been able to access the Rockfin chat for a while, and uh, it's nowhere near as crowded as it used to be. Where are all the regulars that are usually in Rockfin? I'll see you tomorrow on American Plug. So, I'm a little. I'm getting a little complex. You're not showing up for my show. Oh, Chris says his cell phone's dead. Okay, that's why. Let me, let me, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to get him on here if we can. Uh, yeah. He's, uh, he's, he said. Well, I don't know everything about 9 11. So if you ask me questions, I don't know. I'll just tell him I don't. Well, he asks great questions anyhow. Yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing we have on our, our website is we do a photo comparison of a, a Cessna 172 cockpit with that of a Boeing 767. Mm -hmm. And you can just look at it and see the stark difference. And we say, do you notice any subtle differences? Okay. And mm -hmm. then we do a comparison of the aircraft size, speed, weight, and uh, power of the engines of the two different aircraft and the whole story about them hijackers flying those aircraft. Well, what, 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 what is, as a, I mean, I assume as a pilot, you should know more than the average person about what, I mean, I, I don't know what, you know, uh, wreckage from a plane is supposed to look like, but I do know in the Pentagon that uh, lots of people did some great research uh, and it, it sure looks like uh, the, the hole was the size of the, the size of the hole indicated that uh, it was smaller than the plane or there should have been some kind of mark from the plane impacting the building or the, the I mean, the wings or the, or the wings should have been sheared off. Right. Uh, we don't see that either one. So how, what are your thoughts on that? What, just what happened to the plane? The same thing in flight 93 is like, what were they, could the remote control theory you're talking about? Could they have set it to disintegrate or something? Well, I, I believe on 93's uh, instance that uh, it may have been shot down or blown up. 
aborted the mission because it took off 45 minutes late from Newark and everything had already happened in New York and Washington. So uh, maybe they just decided to abort the mission. I don't, I don't know. I'm just guessing. And I don't know for sure that those were airplane parts. I will tell you this, that Mick Harrison, the chief litigator for the Lawyers Committee, and another guy that was the uh, president whose name escapes me, visited Pennsylvania shortly after the fact. And according to Jane Clark, the president of the Lawyers Committee, she told me, yes, they did see plane parts and body parts out there. So I, I can only go by what people tell me. But as far as the Pentagon goes, I won't officially make a statement on behalf of 9-11 pilot whistleblowers because we don't go there. We just say the hijackers couldn't have flown it. The uninterruptible autopilot could. In that instance, if it was a cruise missile, uh, what happened to United 73, uh, American 77? We claim in that instance that the uninterruptible autopilot took it someplace else, whether you want to believe Phil McConnell, Rebecca Ross, or Jim Fetzer. Do you know Jim Fetzer? Uh, oh, yes, very familiar with Jim Fetzer. Yes, <laughs> we go way back, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, I thought you would when you said JFK. But I, I believe he, he thinks that uh, the planes were diverted to Cleveland and Chicago. I, I don't remember exactly, but... Well, yeah, there's well, there's because there's a story about the uh, oh, there's Chris. There he is now. I think you probably tell us more about that. Chris Gray's welcome. This is this is the Hall of Fame researcher, Chris Gray's. He's helped me out more than I can I can say. Uh, Captain Dan, I'm sure he has some some really educated comments for you. Hi, uh, questions. Hi, uh, good uh, good to meet you. I, I saw you. I saw you on Charlie Robinson's show uh, a few, I think, like oh, last year at some our point. Our buddy, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, I just, I, I had a couple of questions. I know you said that you weren't like the expert on all things 9-11, but um, have you ever heard that? I put the question up a, uh, a little while ago, but had you ever heard about the possibility of the Logan Airport flights taking off from various gates, not just, not just one? It's vaguely familiar. I knew there was some kind of a controversy about 11 at Logan, but I don't remember what it was. But no, I haven't specifically heard that it took off on two separate gates. Okay. okay. What, what is the uh, what is the proof of that? Is that eight cars or something? Yeah, eight cars. Uh, there was <clears throat> there was a 9-11 uh, researcher that went by the name of... Um, uh, Help me out here, Don. Um, uh, what, what is it? Who? who? The uh, you know the you know you had Killtown, right? Yeah. Killtown was one of the researchers, but the other guy, um, he, he still puts out stuff on Twitter, even, and he had like the A cars, and, and uh, he had a data from the airport itself that there were other <clears throat> flights that were kind of like shadowing um, one seventy five and eleven. Yeah. Um, and they, there was the claim that uh, Flight 11 took off from gates 32 and 26, because I believe there's actually memorial plaques at both, even at Logan Airport to this day. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, I could be wrong. Maybe they, they corrected it uh, all these years later, but for the longest time in uh, the 9-11 truth community, that was uh, a bone of contention for a while that at Logan Airport, at least in terms of Flight 11, 32 and 26 were the official takeoff gates, which 
kind of mirrored, you know, this is speculation, but it kind of mirrored the Operation Northwoods kind of idea where they would uh, have multiple planes with the same designations. So, yeah. Well, yeah, about 175. Uh, you, you've seen the pictures of the pod, right? Yeah, the, the bottom of the aircraft. I mean, yeah, that, pod at the bottom of it. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure if that was like put out there on purpose to kind of be like a hologram kind of thing. You know how like certain things were put out where you're not sure if it's being put out as disinfo kind of thing. I was never really sure what to make of it. There's something at the bottom of that that right. seven fifty uh, seven sixty seven something. Right. But well, I, I was told that a Spanish photography expert team analyzed those photos and they said they weren't photoshopped okay and they said that the pod appears to actually have been there and you know the bottom of a 767 smooth so if that pod was there it wasn't united 175 so and and, whatever the flashes were right Uh, right before the impacts of both 11 and 175 that right flash on both the footage right yeah some have speculated that that could have been a missile being shot into it to uh, make it so that the plane could kind of melt into the building the way it unnaturally kind of already does. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not sure. I'm not a physicist. Uh, I, yeah. See, White Wolf asks what a lot of people think. Uh, what if the flights and manifest were fake? There's a lot of questions about the manifest well, uh, and the flights. You know, you I got to tell you there, Don, I was, I was in Newark flight operations that morning. I was supposed to go to London that evening. And when they canceled everything and threw me out of my hotel because uh, it was already booked, uh, I went over to Newark Flight Operations to see if I could help out. And I can confirm uh, that United 93 actually departed the plane, the gate with crew and passengers and took off. I can tell you that okay. much because I, I, I didn't actually go up there, but a friend of mine, Jim Barnes, uh, he was a, a 767 captain, had actually flown jason Dahl in from denver he was deadheading in and had to drive fly up in the cockpit and they talked for three and a half hours from denver to newark and jim actually walked up to the gate with jason they shook hands and said goodbye and that was the last he saw of him but uh i i know for a fact people are always saying that to me that they the planes never took off and i can mm-hmm. only claim that united 93 did there's another question for you from uh, the lovely Georgia Ann Brown. Uh, frankly, my dear, says, does he remember who Sybil Ed- Sybil Edmonds, I've tried to get her on the show. She doesn't answer people. I'm sorry. Yeah, she does. Yeah. yeah uh, she was a translator in 9-11. Who are the, or do, what do you know about Sybil Edmonds, uh, Captain Dan? I know her. I mean, I know of her, and we were in contact on Facebook a few, several years ago, actually. And I know her whole story and what was going on. And uh, I actually talked to her at that time because I was so frustrated with what I was doing with 9-11 and these mobbed up judges that uh, we exchanged messages and she had a little baby girl at the time. And I was thinking about what happened to my family and how involved she was with what she's doing. I was actually questioning her whether or not it was really worth continuing given how corrupt the whole system is. And what was her response? I guess she thinks it is. Or I don't. Well, I don't know how much she's doing now. I, I don't either. She has that boiling frogs radio program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She took, the same, a, she took the same stance as April Gallup, I believe. Doesn't really talk about nine eleven too much anymore. Oh really? Yeah. 
Where April Gallup was one of the one of the many ones I tried to get a hold of while writing Me the too. American Memory Hole, and she, yeah, and and Chris uh, is you know finds a lot of these people for me, gives me the information, but uh, she doesn't get back to you. You know, she's her their phones are disconnected. She doesn't answer. She was very vocal early on, but. She had a case too, and uh, Bush's yeah. cousin was the good judge on it. Yeah, yes, George Bush's <laughs> cousin was one of the judges, and, yeah, really. and he did. And he said you should recuse yourself, maybe. But no, uh, yeah. yeah, she sued them, and uh, I, I am guessing she must have lost her job at the Pentagon. If you lost your job, I'm pretty sure because she was really vocal, and yeah. uh, she was saying she didn't see. You know, she was basically saying. No, I don't know what she was saying exactly. So Chris, bombs was, went off. Bombs went off where she was sitting. Basically. Yeah, bombs went off. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've watched uh, Barbara Honiger's uh, Behind the Smoke Curtain, and she talks about that. Uh, but here, here's the thing about 9-11 Truth and where it's gone. I've been on social media since it started. Facebook and when Twitter started, I got on it okay. And I'm always being called an idiot because I, I mentioned something about planes and the no planes people attack me or the missile as a Pentagon, people attack me or whatever. And that's yeah. why I say, look, I don't debate that issue anymore. But for those that want to get out there on social media and debate these issues, I say, okay, suppose you had all all the information necessary to prove it was an inside job. Where are you going to take it? You're going to go to the FBI? Yeah. You're going to go to the CIA? Where, where are you going to take with it? You're New York Times? CBS? Okay. <laughs> I, I've proven all that won't happen as far as going with the government. If you read the letters we've written, uh, they stonewall you. They ignore you, so maybe you go away. Well, if I wind up on Al Jazeera saying what I just did tonight, and I get a bunch of, uh, excuse my French, but Muslims pissed off at what happened, uh, they're not going to be happy with me, but uh, there's a chance that that might happen. Did you yeah. ever look? Did you ever look into the the uh, death of Daniel Pearl, the Wall Street uh, Journal reporter that was one of the first beheadings, like right after nine eleven? He was looking at the the money between the ISI and the Muhammad Atta connection. Yeah, I never looked into it deep. I just know it happened oh. over here and what the, uh, okay. the circumstances surrounding it was. Now that hundred thousand dollars that supposedly ISI sent to Muhammad Atta a year prior to nine eleven. That was in an Indian newspaper. That's what who exposed it. And Indian Pakistan aren't good buddies. So right. I, I question whether or not that really happened. Uh, I'm not going to write the ISI and ask their opinion. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't either. <laughs> yeah. But I I actually, I was trying to get in to see the Prime Minister Imran Khan because I suspected he was a truth. And not that I thought he would come out with the information I had, but I felt compelled at least present him this uninterrupted other information from the 9-11 truth movement. So I was in the process of going to a military sector secretary to get in to see him. And they were, they called me one day and was going to set up an appointment, but then didn't get back to me. So I went to the ISI and said, Hey, look, wow. I know a lot of stuff. Uh, I want to talk to you. And they actually called me and said, come in. And my wife and I went in and I spent about an, hour and a half talking to a colonel and I spilled my guts. I told him everything about the uninterrupted law department, about the lawyers committee, about the anothermite, about Judy Wood, you name it. I had his ear and he was writing notes and he said to me, look, the, uh, the director general wants to meet you. He couldn't make it in there today because he had something more pressing going on. He says, but we're going to 
bring you back in there. We want to do a documentary, blah, blah, blah. And then the very next month, the coup occurred. Oh, yeah. Imran Khan was ousted and that did that. So uh, I well, don't. To go, to go back to what you were saying about the bin Laden uh, thing, about him being dead since 2005, I think, uh, what was her name? Ben, uh, I can't pronounce it, but Buto? Benazir Buto said she died. She said in, she uh, was at his funeral, I believe, and then she was kind of murdered in an ambush, yeah. I think. Uh, some people believe uh, the sheriff or her husband had her killed. Oh, okay. Yeah, but yeah. I I don't know. I, I know it's Benazir Buto. I know she claimed he died in December of 2001. He was on yeah, dialysis. Fox, Fox News had, did too. Fox, well, yeah. I, have, I have those articles. Fox News was yeah. December 16th, 2001. They said he was dead. Yeah. You know who General uh, uh, Gould is? General Hamid yeah. Gould? No, He's a former ISI chief here. A very uh, respectable gentleman. He died a few years ago. But uh, when I first got over here, my wife had all these military and other friends that she was introducing me to. And he was one of them. And I went over to his office and he's one of the few guys he was on cnn and actually said he didn't believe the official story and mm-hmm. i can't remember the name of the indian guy that was shot trying to shut him off and at the end of the interview he says uh, what he just said uh cnn is not in agreement with etc etc et no <laughs> I, yeah yeah I, I went in and met him my wife introduced him and i had about a 45 minute meeting with him and he goes look and I told him what I knew at the time. I, uh, and he says, look, you're just a soft target over here. Keep your head down. Well, I didn't listen to him. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you, you again, you, I'm just amazed. And uh, Chris has obviously been watching my show for a long time. And he can tell you how many people I've had on uh, yeah. the show that are, it's, it's in the, it's anybody that comes forward like this. I mean, he just, they, I, I've never heard one story end, you know, on a, on a positive note from a whistleblower in terms of, yeah, everybody rallied around me. My family supported me. It's always, yeah. you know, my marriage fell apart. My kids don't talk to me. I you got like Philip or Philip Marshall, you know, his whole family uh, taken out. Yeah, yeah. And they blamed uh, it on him, you know. <laughs> the dog even. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my uh, my friends that are guys I thought were my friends that I was going to use as witnesses. But yeah. this thing, after it all, they all ran away from me when uh, I got pulled out of schedule. As a matter of fact, one of my best friends called me one night and said, Dan, we just got word from the union. They put out everyone's to cease communication with Captain Dan Hanley. I go, wow. you got to be kidding me. He goes, no, wow. I'm not. He goes, I'm not even supposed to be talking to you now. And he was a union officer, right? He yeah. says, so I'm, I'm sorry. So, uh, yeah, they bailed on me. No, well, keep, so, and keep, keep in mind, you never... You didn't. You weren't accusing United Airlines of any complicity, right? You were just questioning the official story. Well, right. in the letter that I wrote, among other things that I wrote about, I said I believe that the pressure being exerted by the bankruptcy court on the unions prevented them from representing pilots out on the line. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. I later later found out. I will use the word alleged and purported a bunch here, but I later found out that this judge that presided over the United bankruptcy allegedly was mobbed up with an Arizona crime family and maintained a $40 million bribery fund to 
described three other federal and six state court judges in Chicago. So, uh, yeah, that that's what I went after after the fact because it was tied directly to my termination, the judge. So, but I I spent five years of my life kicking doors down in D.C., visiting you name it, the whistleblower senators Clara McCaskill and uh, Iowa. What's his name? Like Grassley. Okay, supposedly yeah. the defenders of whistleblower. What a yeah. what a what a crock! Uh, nothing happened. <laughs> I uh, wrote letters, emails, phone calls—you name it—to every relevant level and branch of the government, and got nowhere with it. So that really—that was from uh, 2006 till 2012, and it really turned me completely off. Not that I wasn't already, but it turned me totally turned me off completely to the government. Yeah, sure. You see, and and see the, the when they say. Uh... One of the uh, expressions in the in our world uh, that they usually kind of to chide conspiracy theorists, they say, "Well, you know, someone you can't keep a secret. Someone would have talked." And it's like, yeah. "Here's here's Exhibit A. You talked. Lots of other people talked too. And, and what happened when they talked? You talked. Uh, no one, uh, everyone in power uh, went after you. Right. No one, well, you know, well, they, you could say the Manhattan Project. No one talked." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's one of the only examples that you can really say compartmentalization right there, the Manhattan Project. But for yeah. the most part, yeah, yeah, there's nowhere you can go. That's I had a, yeah, I had a woman contact. Well, I'll tell you what it was. I was on Twitter and someone came up with the name Captain So and So. Okay, and they start talking about the uninterrupted pilot. I go, well, it's a pilot. So I messaged this person. It turned out it was a woman. And she said, look, you've been making all these accusations about who was involved in the development of the system. I worked at Raytheon and I've got all kind of inter office correspondence that proves that it was developed prior to 9-11. I said, well, get it to me, please. And she goes, well, it's locked up in an old email file and I don't know how to unlock it, but I'll, I'll work on it. Well, we were moving along and I wanted something besides Wayne Anderson's testimony anyhow, and she froze up on me and ran away. She got cold feet. So uh, there's people out there that are just afraid to talk. I mean, I, as simple as these pilot interviews that we conducted were, you know, I, I'd get them on and I would uh, have them introduce themselves and what their flight credentials were. And then I'd describe the Pentagon maneuver and Hani Hanju's lack of experience and ask their opinion. And all they had to do was say, no, absolutely not. And give the reasons why not, okay? 10 people, well, I actually had more than that, but then YouTube started taking the videos down saying it was hate speech. So, <laughs> hate speech. They hate it, they hate the truth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You're questioning the credentials of hijackers. Yeah. You're, uh, you're questioning the 330 degree angle uh, turn that he did, right? Hon yeah. Hon Hon yeah, right, right. Right. Flunked out, didn't he? Flunk out of a uh, uh, yeah, yeah, just a just a minor like training school for basic flying lessons or something. They they told him, no, no, you can't, you can't, you can't come here. But he he did something like that. There's a, a Varun Saw says uh, they put options on the airlines are very peculiar. Yes. Did high level individuals profit from foreknowledge? I can say that. I can answer that. Buzzy Conrad of the CIA. Mm -hmm. He yeah. uh, put a whole bunch of put options 
on the airlines. We never okay. went to collect, though. So, well, I Chris believe the there. airline managers were in collusion with the government on all this. Wow. Well, at Logan, I mean, that's, the, that's at Logan, the manager that. was ripping up the tape and throwing uh, the uh, air traffic controller uh, testimonies uh, that literally the tape and putting it in different garbage bins all over Logan. Yeah. Sorry, this, what, what, what did Larry, Larry Stilberstein made a billion, didn't he? Larry's only for yeah, 3.2 billion. Something 3. Like 2. That. <laughs> he claimed it was two different terrorist attacks. Right. The Dallas. Exactly. Yeah, it was a separate one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, well our, go ahead, Don. No, I did go ahead. You were going to say something. That's okay. No, I was just going to say in our documentary recovery, Larry Silverstein, uh, Assistant Attorney General uh, Chertoff. Yeah. And Dov Zakheim. So we, yes, we, don't the rabbi. Beyond, we don't go beyond that. We, all, all we're trying to do is intimate that perhaps Zionists were involved in the planning and execution of yeah. 9-11. And there were some U.S. individuals involved as well. So, uh, well, you, so I'm just assuming, do you go into the uh, Mossad angle of the operation? No, we don't. Oh, okay. Other, other than to show the CIA Mossad shaking hands. Okay. And the documentary is really designed for those who still believe the official story. And for anyone else that would look at it, it's, you know, it's very elementary. I don't need to know any of this. So uh, right. we say that at the beginning. This well, documentary there, produced for those who still believe the official story. If there was a you know Israeli involvement or whatever, then you can see uh, what's happening now. Obviously, Captain Dan is ought to be an interest to you. You're talking about Zionists because we, we're seeing. Uh, I mean, I don't. I haven't seen a single politician that I know of in this country that hasn't jumped up or on Twitter or something and said we stand with Israel. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard made an ass out of herself. RFK Jr. Uh, all the Republicans, obviously, and some of these talking heads like Ben Shapiro and Mark Levin. I mean, they just. It's embarrassing to watch them. They're so, I mean, they're yeah. so angry. It's like, like they, I, I, I've wrote on Substack and I don't think you would have seen that anger if uh, Hamas had struck, uh, you know, Des Moines, Iowa. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's there. So, I mean, what do you think about that? But that this, if you, if you're, if you're talking about Zionist involvement, when you see what's going on now with this particular uh, incident or whatever it was, uh, does that must just kind of solidify your beliefs, doesn't it, Captain Dan? Uh -huh. Exactly. I mean, you're familiar with the Greater Israel Project, right? Oh, yes, yes. You know, you talk about Israel's having a means and motive or crime. Well, they had the means and the motive was they wanted to topple or destabilize seven countries in five years in the Middle East, right? Well, they never accomplished that task. You still got Syria and Iran sitting out there right now. So I personally believe I, I ran an unscientific poll on Twitter the other day. And I said, do you believe that the October 7th, uh, no, do you believe that Syria, uh, damn it, uh, Pac Pakistan, what am I saying? Uh, Hamas. No, do you believe that Israel's October 7th basically was a false flag operation? And everybody's come back saying absolutely, because I, I personally sure. believe that fence was so well guarded. I mean, if a dog approached it, they'd shoot it. And they mm -hmm. just drew drew IDF off the fence, allowed it to happen. I don't know whether Hamas was involved or not in the operation, but they need, it's their own 9-11. I mean, 
uh, Netanyahu even said, this They're is calling our 9-11. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's your new Pearl Harbor too, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I, th I think they have to be um, surprised though, because even though, and again, this is, this is an economy between the people of this country and those who lead us. Because those who lead us are a hundred percent behind Israel. There was, I mean, Vivek Ramaswamy kind of gently said something and was condemned for it. But that—that's about it. Anybody has a public platform, and Tucker, Tucker Carlson's kind of questioning as well. But everyone else is. I stand with Israel, and yet if you look at the people, like you said there. Your, I think your poll on Twitter reflects the the uh, the attitude uh, at large. Is you, you see that you saw the protesters in the Capitol and the the. Uh, protests all along the camp. Now they're probably organized by somebody, but uh, I think there's a lot of people that are not buying this in the country. I, I hope so. I hope so. Uh, I was going to say something else and it escaped my mind. Uh, you said the poll and it made me think about, no, I can't remember what I was going to say, but uh, yeah, I, I believe, I know what I was going to say. They want, they wanted this to happen because they want to realize the goals of the greater Israel project and that is they they already said that if uh the who is it in uh lebanon the, the uh hezbollah if they i guess if they if they enter the fight then uh israel is claiming they're going to level damascus and take out assad okay well if they were to try to do all that israel's be, i mean iran's behind syria and so is uh, Russia. Is Al-Qaeda Al still in Syria uh, on our behalf? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, right. Hamas is a subsidiary of Al-Qaeda. L-C-I-A. Exactly. In Pakistan, because we hear so much about they try to tie so many countries to terrorism. And I right. have a connection with it. My sister lived in Iran for many years, married an Iranian. I've met many Iranians over the years. Uh, they're very nice people. I've never met one that I didn't like. And what does it mean to be a state sponsor of terrorism? And don't they claim that with Pakistan? I don't even know what that means. But when you're living in Pakistan, do you see any uh, evidence of terrorists uh, there? Well, there's a couple different Taliban factions over here. One of them is called the Tariqa Taliban. The other one was called, I can't think of what it is now. Um, it's uh, almost four in the morning. <laughs> I'm getting... Uh, oh, that's it. Yeah, you really. No, 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 no. I'm enjoying talking like this. But uh, there's a couple different factions over here. And the U.S. has accused uh, Pakistan of supporting the Haqqani Network. That was the other one. OK, because the Haqqani Network was also active in uh, Kashmir. So in essence, they were aiding, supposedly aiding Pakistan. So I think that's what they're talking about. The intelligence agency in a country actually uh, covertly supporting a terrorist group. So, but I I won't say that happened because the ISI is listening to all of this right now. And you live there, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I understand. There's, but it's it's uh, it's interesting that you you talk about all this and you see what's going on in the world now. And how is How's Pakistani? How's the Pakistani media? How are they re reacting to the attack on by Hamas and Israel's response and so forth? Well, uh, they've somewhat had a uh, soft remarks that they put out, and I believe the reason that I t I told you um, 
that right now Pakistan, well, I believe Pakistan's under control of the U.S. right now, and I believe the U.S. was behind this ouster of Imran Khan. And because I feel like they own Pakistan right now, Pakistan's going to come out with a muted response about how they feel, and that's exactly what's happened. It's just been a soft response. But Pakistan is the only Muslim nuke country in the world. They're the only ones with nuclear weapons. And uh, mm -hmm. I heard that they had a deal with Saudi Arabia that any, because they, Saudi Arabia has bailed them out financially numerous times, uh, that uh, if Saudi Arabia wanted nukes, Pakistan would deliver. So uh, I got another question here. ISI chief for 100,000. He's talking about General Ahmoud Ahmed, who actually met with uh, Joe Biden, of all people, at a certain yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe Ada was a patsy, and what was the money used for, supposedly to bring them over? They were trained in the United States. And uh, people say Saudi Arabia paid for the training. I don't know. The CIA was supposedly involved with two of them, yep. uh, as far as uh, their training goes. But... Uh, yeah. Another guy, I can't think of his name. I shouldn't have even brought it up. Uh, Hopsinger. Daniel you know, Hopsinger went into all that. He just passed away recently. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yes, just yes, yes, he did. Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, when you, uh, how, how many members are in your organization, 9-11 uh, pilot whistleblowers? I can only, I, I can't give you an exact number. Uh, a couple hundred pilots only. Okay. And thousands of people globally. Uh, uh, we got an email that says, as a matter of fact, on the uh, website, we got a contact us page. No, it's got to join us. And all we need is your name and email address. And we'll put you on the list and uh, we keep you apprised of what we're doing. Well, I, I'm amazed you have a couple hundred pilots, to be honest with you, because, I mean, yeah. they're, they see what happened to you. I mean, they're, uh, are, are they all active still? Do they fear losing their jobs too, like you? Some of them are, and most of them want to remain anonymous. They, I, I would guess so, yeah. yeah. So as the uh, active pilots are less uh, are reluctant to talk about this stuff. So. Did, sure. you, uh, did you ever look into the, um, the E-4Bs, uh, the doomsday planes that were over Washington and New York City during the attacks? Well, there's uh, an author investigator named Mark Gaffney that wrote a book on yeah. it. He lives up in... Uh, uh, Oregon or one of the states up there. Yeah. And I've been in contact with him. He wrote a book on this, but I never read it. But that it's entirely believable that that could have been the vehicle that uh, da downlinked navigation information to this uninterrupted autopilot system. He does, I don't believe he goes into that in the book, but uh, he wrote he wrote this article in it's actually how I learned about uh, Hanjar being denied rental of the aircraft. He wrote an article in July 2009 for uh, Global Research. Oh, yeah. And I can't remember. The, hold on. I got the title. It says, How the FBI and the 9-11 Commission Suppressed Key Evidence About Hani Hanjar, Alleged Hijacker of American uh, Airlines Flight 77. Okay. And it's on our website. It's on the hijackers page. And we got it listed under articles under Gaffney. Okay. You read that thing. He went into great detail about how poor a student Hanjur was. And he's the one that uh, 
brought to my attention that Teddy Shalev, the Israeli, that supposedly gave him a, a thumbs up on uh, being a good pilot. So uh, it's well well worth the read. I posted on, I just posted it on Twitter today. Uh, so I've got a I've got about a uh, forty five thousand Twitter followers, and I'm in shadow banned so bad. Yeah. Almost almost not. Facebook's even worse. Yes. I got the limit 5,000 and, uh, you know, I put something up and I get 60 likes or something, no comments. And I, I thought, yeah. why am I wasting my time doing this? So. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell you all about that. There's a that shadow, ban, <laughs> the shadow banning is awful. And it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's a way they control again. They control the, they control the debate because they know that, uh, you can see even something like the, 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 the response of Israel, the over the top response, uh, they have, I don't think they plan for this because, and again, a lot of this is, uh, you know, I criticize the woke left all the time, but most of the woke left were sympathetic to the Palestinians before. So this is kind of, I don't, I don't think they know what to do because I don't think they planned on this kind of, uh, you know, this response. So it'd be interesting to see. And uh, who knows, maybe eventually it'll, it'll lead to some kind of uh, truth about uh, 9-11. What, what are, what are you doing, uh, now you 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 know you spend your your you're trying to educate people and I guess you you're uh, you said you had the documentary and so forth but what do you spend most of your time just like recruiting people do you do you have like a send out regular statements or do you do you give talks or you do interviews obviously like this but what, right. what else are you trying to do um, these letters uh, actually myself personally. I'm trying to get on a major Muslim media station in the Middle East or South Asia. Yeah, that's your, yeah, that's There's a station called Tolo TV in Kabul. And I wrote their CEO, explained who I was and what I had to offer. And so there couldn't be a more critical time that uh, to expose 9-11 than right now. Uh, yeah, and I've tried to call his office and haven't been able to get through. And then another woman recently came to me on Twitter and said, "I can connect you with one of the largest media outlets in the world." And I said, "Where is it?" And all she'd tell me was Middle Eastern. And mm -hmm. I thought, well, that's got to be Al Jazeera. So yeah. she went. I pumped her. She asked me for a bunch of information. I gave it to her, and I'm waiting to hear back from her. And then the third one is. Uh, Press TD in Tehran. Mm. I've been bugging them. Uh, mm -hmm. So I know this will go over like a lead balloon. <laughs> mm -hmm. Being on TV and talking about stonewalling by the U.S. government about the uninterrupted autopilot. But, well, it's, 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 it's so important now because 9-11... Uh, uh, paved the way for a lot of this stuff. And, you know, we, we already heard talk about terrorism, but, uh, you know, the neocons took power basically of foreign policy in the, the 80s during the Reagan years, and they kind of took over our foreign policy. But 9-11 solidified all that, the Patriot Act, Homeland Security and everything, but it's all based on, it's all wrapped up in Israel's problems. It's And you can see it now. Look what's happening. Our Israel's attacked and we act like we were attacked. And this is this is a disaster for America. The idea that we're going to commit, I mean, Biden is asking for how many billions extra and he's already thrown to the Ukraine. So this is, I mean, I don't know how anybody can look at that and not, not see the influence that Israel right. has over our society. It's obvious. Well, people over here, because I've asked around since I've been here, I'll say, have you ever heard of APAC? 
No. Yeah. I said, well, how about the ADL? And I go, no, and I'm gone. <laughs> okay. I said, well, do you think Israel's a friend of the United States or the world? And I try to enlighten them, and they're like dumbfounded mm-hmm. about APAC. I mean, Americans don't know about APAC, okay? And they've got such a stranglehold on every level and branch of government, as you know, from the White House all the way down to the local level, that uh, these politicians, I mean, they just took a vote in the Senate, 97 to nothing in support of Israel. So I uh, tweeted the cards of Congress, but that's what they are, because nobody will stand up against it, because they've either been compromised, black whale, failed or threatened by the Kazarian Mafia, get their head blown off if they open their mouths. So, uh, it's, I think Cynthia, Cynthia McKinney was one of the only people to really talk about the APAC thing, right? Right, Doc? Yes. She was one yes. of the last ones, yeah. And she's uh, she's been on the show, and she's uh, yeah. uh, my friend to some degree. But, yeah, she 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 claims there, that they had to take an oath to Israel or something. She refused to oh, do exactly. it. exactly. She's on the documentary. Yeah, yeah. She's oh. uh, she's wonderful. Yeah, she's uh, she's wonderful, and she's uh, she should be there still in Congress. Her Jim Traffigant, they ran out of they ran him out and censored him. He's gone now, but he was he was one of the last ones that I know that criticized Israel. It just isn't done. And you can see now the left and the right. I mean, there's 97. How many other issues would the Senate vote 97 and nothing on? I mean, that's it sickens me. They've they've taken over my country and it perturbs me more than I can say. Uh sure. and, uh, I want to do something about it. I don't know what there is other than what I'm trying to do right now because uh, I I come right out on social media and say uh, uh, Zionist members of the governments of the United States and Israel, along with others, through collusion with Mossad, CIA, MI6, and others, planned and executed the events of 9-11. And I say, put that out all the time, but I've got one of them. It shows Building 7 blowing up, and at the top it says uh, Muslims did not, not do this. Zionists did. And every time I post this on Twitter, someone in <laughs> Germany reports me to the German government who comes to Twitter saying it's he's violated our hate speech law. <laughs> Unbelievable. But Twitter sticks up for me and says the post is going to stay. So, uh, oh, good. Well, I'm glad. I mean, was, I've seen a little effects from – from Elon Musk, a little bit. My shadow man is still there, but he's, you know, yeah. who knows? I mean, it's a, maybe a little bit. If you're, if posts like that is staying up, that's uh, that's good news because it certainly wouldn't stay up on Facebook. Oh God, no. That's for sure. And so you know, it's. Uh, but uh, well, we have a five. We have like five minutes left. So I want what, whatever. What would have we missed anything? Is there anything you, that you want to talk about? We didn't get to talk about. Well, I'll tell you since I mentioned it, I'm on Twitter at Dan Hanley four. And I'm on uh, Facebook at uh, Captain Dan Hanley. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, you can get a hold of me on Messenger on either one of those. Uh, if you want to interview with me or just uh, ask me a question or make a comment. Uh, we also have the Contact Us page on the website there. So I'll just mention the website one more time is 911pilots.org. And uh, go there. There's a couple drop-down menus at the top. Read the website. It's a pretty easy read. Watch the videos there and see if you don't walk away convinced that the 911 aircraft were electronically hijacked. So that's what the, as a matter of fact, at the close of the website, we say, was it the uninterruptible autopilot or did, did the untrained hijackers fly the aircraft 
and we say you be the judge so we sure. we lay out all the facts and let them judge for themselves so and thank thank you don for giving me the opportunity to be on the program oh it, it's my pleasure and again i i can't uh, i can't say enough how how badly i feel for you and all the other whistleblowers that uh, you know you you're principled enough to stand up for something and and point out a lie and uh, you know you you sacrificed uh, everything that's important and uh that's that's gotta i mean I, again i don't I, I can't imagine how crushing that was but it sounds like things are better now because you have a, a new life and yeah. it would probably at this point is probably <laughs> maybe a better country <laughs> this collapsing yeah. uh, this yeah. banana republic we're living in i don't know i don't know if it's a banana republic there but i I call this the world's wealthiest banana republic because it we yeah, it's this, a banana republic here too. So. It, it, I was it, yeah. Well, it's a, but at yeah. least you know everybody acknowledges that here. You know, <laughs> yeah. we're supposed to be a first world nation, so I don't know. But um, again, yeah. It's, uh, Chris, did you have anything else for Captain Dan? Oh uh, no, I just uh, <clears throat> for anyone out there that uh, is interested, uh, if they <clears throat> if they use uh, certain search engines that are you know, not as clamped down as Google. If you if you look yeah. at the the connection of Flight 93 to uh, the CIA front company Oracle and Larry Ellison, yes, and Todd Todd Beamer and the Let's Roll story, yeah, and Lisa Beamer, yeah. uh, that's very interesting. And the possibility of guns being on the 9/11 flights too. Uh, that was brought up by Seymour Hirsch shortly after. Um, and the jump seat policy. Also, people should look at Dave McGowan brought that up. So that's about it. Thanks and and thanks to you, Chris. Well, well, I'll have a lot of that uh, in um, in the American memory hole coming up next. Yeah. And uh, you're right. I mean, there's there's so many questions to this. And uh, Captain Dan, again, I can't uh, I can't thank you enough. We still got a couple minutes left. So just what do you do? You th are we going to World War Three? What, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's possible. <laughs> I think it's possible if if. Looking at how the Mideast country, Muslim countries are reacting to what's going on in Gaza right now, I think it's entirely possible that we'll get into a shooting match that involves all these countries. It's interesting to see that in Iraq, they're attacking bases and Saudi Arabia has broken off the normalization talks with Israel. So on, I've been angry watching the lack of response to the two billion Muslims on the planet who's had their religion and themselves trampled the last 22 years yes, for sir. crimes they did not commit. It's like stand up and speak out. Now's the time to do it. So I think, uh, I think, yes, I, I think that there will be a shooting war. Well, Can I ask one last thing? Um, and yeah. Obviously, you don't have to answer, but I'm just curious. Um, are you in close proximity to where Osama's supposed hideout was in Pakistan? Yeah, it's about an hour north to me. I've been up near okay. there. Okay. So you go, you go up along the Afghan uh, Pakistan border. It's not all that safe for people like me to be up there. Right. But, uh, right. I've been up in that area before. Okay. So, Just nice meeting you, Chris. Nice meeting you too. Nice meeting. So, Captain Dan, give out the website one more time where people can find out information. Okay, nine one one pilots org, and the YouTube channel, which has been frozen on me because of thanks to uh, yeah. The people running that but uh it's 911 pilots is the youtube channel so fantastic well again my th I, I'm, I'm so glad you came on the show uh my hats off to you doing great work your profile encouraged chris anything you want to promote 
No, just uh, support uh, support this man's uh, film and support uh, masking the truth, everybody. Absolutely. It's all we can do. And please, if you're not subscribed to me, subscribe to me on Substack, donaldjeffries.substack.com. It's I protest just like the show. Please suggest the most, the world's most shadow banned book, Matching the Truth, how COVID-19 destroyed civil liberties and shut down the world. Uh, that's uh, where they're shadow banning it everywhere. Please try to break the, the algorithm of the libraries, at least get it in there. And I appreciate all your support. Yeah, Thanks, Captain. Pipe the uh, the uh, the JFK book too. Yes, pipe the bimbo in red. Uh, that's coming out. That's already out for pre-sale. We've co-written with William Law. Pipe the bimbo in red. Uh, uh, Dean Andrews, Jim Garrison, the conspiracy to kill JFK. So uh, that's uh, you know you can support me that way as well. So again, thanks, Captain Dan. Thanks, Chris Gray's Hall of Fame researcher. Thanks to all of you listening to I protests. We'll see you next week, same time. Thanks. <laughs>